Hey, welcome back to Trust God Bro, the 12 Days of Christ Center Miss. Today is day nine, and so um, we've been talking about how much the PNC Christmas price index is each year, and it's been um, this year it's 39,000 for um, every item or 170,000 for each gift repeated. And more than the, the 12 days of Christmas, the gifts from that, even more than that, and then true love, we need the gospel. And so I'm talking about different attributes of God and, you know, the Christ-centered myths and how it's all centered around Christ. And it really doesn't roll off the tongue, but at the end of each day, I'll include a couple of discussion questions for you to think about or to ask a friend. So today is day nine, you know, um, today is about the attribute of God and his jealousy. And now this is another one that you're probably thinking, Dayton, why would you include this? Um, but I do think it is an essential part about God. And um, and I think to bring this to us and bring it to mind of how this is a, a big thing, uh, a part of God, and it's actually a very good thing when we think of it as a bad thing, because we think of human jealousy, which is sinful and um, selfish and prideful. And so for this meditation, I wanted to transport us to Exodus. And somewhere around 3,300 years ago, so as a recap, Moses led the people of Israel out of their slavery to Egypt. An amazing work of God, he provided plagues over the Egyptians, protected the Israelites, and did the impossible. He parted the Red Sea. The people of Israel find themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God's presence rests on it. And so God's presence is quite frightening, actually, and he wants to invite his people into a relationship with him. God asked Israel to follow the laws in response to him releasing them from captivity. So since the people would not go, they didn't want to go up, and Moses went up, and God orders Moses to build a temple so that the people could be in his presence also. And as Moses comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and the blueprints for the temple, he looks out and sees the people of Israel breaking the first two commands of the covenant that they agreed to. And so this is where we start, and this is Exodus 32. And so uh, this is the golden calf. And when the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them and said, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast into the shape of a calf, fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and go up and indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. So they have been, been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol to cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who have brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them so that I may destroy them. Then I will make you a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God, Lord. He said, Why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out and to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. 
Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. All right, and so this continues. I think I would encourage everyone listening to go and read Exodus 32. But I wanted to summarize it. And so in short, Moses comes down from God's presence and God told him that they have broken the commandments and his anger burns. And so he calls them stiff neck because they have made for themselves other gods. And this would be quite offensive. I mean, imagine if you were in that position and um, that happened, if that someone would make gods or images to replace you from something you actually did for someone else. Say, for example, you did some... Um, help someone with their homework and someone else gets the glory and the the fame for that. I mean, you would feel something for that. And so Moses has to remind God of his promise to his people to keep him from wiping them out completely. So make note of this. God is not forgetting his promise in a human manner. It's like it's not like God needed to be reminded of his promise to Abraham. The reason why he includes this and the why it's written like this is the essence of why Moses reminds God is to show Moses that God is deeply deeply grieved by sin and his emotions are great towards sin and is not overlooked. And so God tells Moses to come down fully knowing that people have broken the commandments He and he comes down. And so Moses starts to hear singing of other people, um, of the people of Israel, and sees the golden calf and is so angered, he immediately, immediately breaks the commandments, he smashes them on the ground, and Moses is so angered, he burns the idol, grinds the gold to dust, and makes the people literally drink the dust. So following this, in a gruesome event, the only people who confess to follow God, the Levites, go around the camp and slaughtering over 3,000 Israelites. But Moses is still hopeful that he can make atonement for what happened. So in the count, they literally are saying to themselves to make a calf. They say, let's make an idol, like a literal idol, like something to take the place of God, the God that actually brought them out of Egypt. And they confess that this idol is essentially what is saving them. They literally say, thanks for bringing us out of Israel. And they begin to dance because they have a lowercase g God that they can see, something that is that can be tangible. And we think we're much better than this. Like we look at the Israelites and say, how could you do this when we're really not? And so we still make idols today that replace and deface God. And so Timmy, uh, Timothy Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, says our hearts are idol factories. This is our bent because we are worshipers. We all worship something, grades, your body, relationships, family, religiosity. We can do this for literally anything in our life because we desperately want to justify our existence and we'll use whatever we can to do that. And so Tim Keller says, when anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it's essentially an idol, something that you're actually worshiping. When such a thing is threatened, your anger is absolute. Your anger is actually the way the idol keeps you in its service and its chains. Therefore, if you find that despite all the efforts to forgive, your anger and bitterness cannot subside, you may not, you may need to look deeper and ask, what am I defending? What is so important that I cannot live without? It may be that until some inordinate desire is identified and confronted, you will not be able to master your anger. So this is how we diagnose our idols. And we ask ourselves, like, what is something that I cannot live without, that I must have? And the main meditation of this day is not idolatry, but jealousy. But you see that 
these idols take the place of God. And it's why the commandment is given in Exodus 34:14 when Moses goes again to get that commandment and plead for God to keep his promise despite the betraying of his laws. And so God demands them to not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. God is a jealous God is jealous for you and hates anything that undermines his glory and his creation design and anything undermines his glory and the fame that he deserves. And so he hates anything that corrupts his design and he hates those who don't love God and anything that steals his glory, which is sin. And so sin is the glory of God, not cherished. It's the open ignorance and hatred of God. Sin doesn't declare God as good or loving. Sin says that I am the final cause of my life and I can do what I want. Another word you could describe jealousy with is zealous. And so God is zealous for his namesake. He is zealous for his glory. And it's not because he's an egomaniac, but it's because God actually lives up to the hype. You know, he demands for praise and because his worth is actually what it deserves. And so it's not because he's an egomaniac, because he's really worth it. And that's his beauty. And the reality of worshiping God is that this is the only thing that will satisfy us. So when God is zealous for his name, it's really for our best good and for his glory. And so the only, the, the best analogy I can come up with in, in this life that mirrors God's jealousy is in marriage. And so in marriage, a man is called to love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife is called to respect her husband. And so imagine one day a man comes home to find his wife sleeping with another man. And so what emotions would that provoke? I mean, would the man be passive? It's like, no, his rising jealousy and burning anger would bring him to action to most likely do something probably sinful in response. But the jealousy in his heart is right and it's godly because in this case, it's a covenant relationship that something is happening that is invading that. And so how much more would God not act and experience jealousy for his namesake when his only bride essentially sleeps with another and turns away from him? So God will not sit back and watch them worship a golden calf. God will act. He will crush it and make them taste the bitterness of their sin. Our God is a jealous God, and this is a good thing. The heart of the good news for us in God's jealousy is that God is so zealous for his glory that he goes to great lengths to magnify it through his creation. Though we are corrupted, God was so zealous for his glory that God himself in the person of Jesus set his face toward the cross for the joy set before him so that he could make more people glad in God. His aim was to make worshipers of God that are jealous for God also. The good news is that God was so jealous of his name that he died for it so that we could also delight in his name as he himself does. Through Christ, God is not only jealous for his name, but he is jealous for you because of his name. So ending with an application, we see that God is jealous for his name. And when he saves us, we are made to be jealous for him. So in Romans 1, 5, the Apostle Paul comes up um, and he says, this is his purpose. He says, I am called to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. And so if you notice, it says, for the sake of his name. And uh, John Stott says that we should be jealous for the honor of his name and troubled when it remains unknown, hurt when it is ignored, indignant when it is blasphemed, 
and all the time anxious and determined that it shall be given the honor and glory which are due to it. And these aren't words, but they should be a driving force in your life because God really is for your good and he is jealous for his name. So for discussion questions, and the only one is, how does the goodness and mercy of God saving you make you jealous and zealous for his name? So thanks for listening to day nine of the 12 days of Christ centeredness. I've been really enjoying it and I want to thank you Yeah. For listening, and my brother Derek rumbled for the awesome intro and outro. I mean, it sounds great. Uh, trust God's jealousy, bro. Bring it, bring it.